1: This is a podcast from Minute Media.
2: Hey, folks, before you tap into this latest Lakers Legacy podcast episode, we would please like to ask for your guys' support. All you have to do is subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast app and leave a five star rating and review. That goes a long way in maintaining the consistency and quality of this podcast moving forward. And also, it just lets us know that you're listening, and we love to know that you're listening. So, thanks for your support, and yeah, go hit that five star rating and review button. And now, on with the showtime. You All right, welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast. Where Chopwood Carry DJ on your team still. No, not DeAndre DJ, but DJ Augustine. Lakers nation, stand up. The Augustine Wenyan Gabriel era is here. Now, this is gonna be futile. I am your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I am joined by my co-host, Alan Riley. Alan, before we dive into the league-shifting moves the Lakers have just made, there are currently a lot of better things to watch on your television screen besides the Lakers. So I was thinking, how about we help the average Lakers fan to typically want to gouge their eyes out every time they sit down to watch a game these days with some fun viewing alternatives. So let's help that fan out. Uh, first of all, how you been doing? We haven't had you on since a month, and we 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 just we were just talking offline that the last time we had you, the episode was themed around AD's return. Well, a lot has happened since then, but how are you doing? And then let's get to some shows that you're currently watching that are much more enjoyable than the Lakers.
1: Yeah, well, when AD was returning, I was feeling a lot
2: better, <laughs> just at <laughs> sure. least
1: about Lakers basketball. I know when I saw the title pop up on my screen from then, I was like... Oh, my God. I had a total flashback, you know, to all that excitement and to think of how far we've fallen since that is so sad in, in the shortest month of the year in February, just like that. Yeah. But uh, I've been good, dude. Yeah. Other other than the Lakers, just absolutely draining my energy, you know, three times a week for three hours. Yeah, other than that, it's things are great. It's a great nightcap.
2: <laughs> draining is a good word to describe things. So what have you been what have you been watching instead?
1: Dude, so I binged through Midnight Mass on Netflix. Midnight Mass. So, what is it's that one from is that? like the guys who did Haunting of Hill House and all ah. those like Netflix original scary horror okay, movies okay. and stuff. Um, <laughs> dude, given our background as friends, I feel like you'd be able to relate to some of this stuff in Midnight Mass. So, it takes place like at a church setting. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's just, like, okay. crazy right. stuff that All goes right. on. Sure. Uh, sure. Tommy endorses Midnight Mass as well. Uh, he's a huge fan of that. And then um, I'm still extremely behind on Terrace House. Um, oh, but every now and okay. then I, like, watch a few episodes here and there. Uh, it, Wait, which Terrace House? Um, They're in the Kuruizawa. They're in the countryside.
2: Oh, that one's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah like yeah, in yeah. the yeah. snow, snowy area. Yeah. Mm-hmm,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've been squeezing that in there, too.
2: So there you go. I mean, catch up on Terrace House, Alan says, but also Midnight Mass is the new show that he's watching a la Haunting of Hill House. So for me, I just finished probably the best thing I've watched uh, this year. So if you like Squid Game, I think this is better, which is, you know, high praise. But I just finished All of Us Are Dead on Netflix. Oh man, Alan, it is so freaking good. It's you've seen Battle Royale, right? Yes, yeah. I used to talk
1: about Battle like, Royale like way back in the day.
2: <laughs> you know, and this is what like Hunger Games is based off essentially like So, I would describe All of Us Are Dead as Battle Royale meets Walking Dead because there are there's a zombie infestation in a high school, but it centers around these high school kids. And I think the most enjoyable part of it is not the gratuitous, like violence and gore and all that. That's just part of it. But the real, at the meat, <laughs> literal meat, human meat uh-huh. at the core of everything is you're never going to take the high school out of high schoolers. So even when kids are, e- see their friends eating the flesh off of each other's faces, they're still going to have their high school quirks of, Hey, You betrayed me because you like this guy. Let's send you to the dogs. You know, stuff like that. Send her out to get eaten, you know? So it's just like very... There's a lot of social commentary as well. So definitely check out All of Us Are Dead for... All of the excitement and terror that that comes with, you know, zombie infestations and zombie raids, but also just the, there's a lot of human dynamics there, especially as it pertains to to younger kids, the younger generation, how they relate to the older generation, whether or not they feel like they're getting any help, because essentially these kids are trapped in a high school as this like zombie infestation is going on. So it's like Lord of the Flies too, you know, obviously. Um, so definitely check out All of Us Are Dead on Netflix. And then Alan, you will also really like, if you haven't started this yet, I just started it. I know I'm late to the bandwagon, but Ozark with Jason Bateman on Netflix. Have you started?
1: I'm like partway through season two. I'm also quite behind, yeah.
2: Okay, I just started season, I just finished season one, started season two. And I was like, oh man, this is like Breaking Bad, but with money laundering in the boonies. But very, very captivating, really well fleshed out characters with very complex problems and internal drama of their own. It's just, it's just very intriguing and riveting all the way through. And then Jason Bateman is like the he plays the same character in everything, but it's perfect <laughs> for this, you know. Um, so
1: yeah, I totally agree. No, everyone has like just like real people. Everyone has their own thing, right? They have like their really dark shadow side. It's just that it, it's quite pronounced <laughs> in Ozark.
2: Yeah. yeah, and Jason Bateman always does this, like, perfect—he always walks this perfect tightrope of, like, being gray. Yes, <laughs> you know, he's for like, sure. He's not good. He's not bad. You're not sure where he stands. He seems like every second he's conflicted with what he's doing, so— Yeah. Um, but yeah, so all of us are dead in Ozark. We would recommend— I guess we have to talk about the Lakers. So <laughs> so that that's a good transition into speaking of all of us are dead. Let's go into the Lakers. <laughs> um so let's get into these moves. These league league shifting moves, Alan, that the Lakers have just made. Well, I mean, Palinka surely took things right up to the buzzer with regards to waving DJ because March 1st was the deadline for waving players who are eligible for the playoffs. And he finally waived DJ yesterday, uh, largely because we wanted to save money and not pay a new player till we really had to, a- aka the last day you were eligible to do so. But we finally did it. The DeAndre Jordan era is over. So out goes one DJ, in comes another. Though it's not the DJ replacement we all wanted. Like, we all wanted DJ Wilson, not DJ Augustine, it! Did they hear us correctly or what? But here we are, another 6'3 and under guard, Alan your off the cuff thoughts on a new DJ?
1: I mean, probably like a lot of Laker fans, I thought, well, he's he's not going to be able to like kick our ass anymore from the other side. But given his age, given potential, you know, fit, given oh, he's a good three point shooter. But when guys come to Lakers, all of a sudden they can't shoot anymore. He'll probably continue to kill us just now internally. So I mean, <laughs> let's hope not. But yeah, my first thought was like, dude, this guy always like goes off or like he gets hot. Scores like 20-plus points, whatever. And now it's probably going to be the inverse sort of effect where he ain't going to be able to do anything. Uh, that's that's just the way it is. That's super bleak. Um, so take all that with a grain of salt. That was my first thought. though.
2: Well, when's the last time DJ's killed us in meaningful basketball, though, from his end? Because he was it's in been Houston a minute, last like year. In Orlando
1: yeah. or something, where he was there for like three or four years. And that was like almost a decade ago, actually. So uh, yeah. there's that.
2: Because he played with... Frank Vogel in Orlando. Good times. He played with, yeah, I think he played with Frank Vogel in Indiana, too, if I don't, if I'm not mistaken. So the DJ we remember killing us is really, at best, DJ three years ago on a meaningful team. And my biggest thing with DJ is, I mean, obviously, you're swapping out a a dude who was not playing and was actively hurting us at the beginning of the season with someone who can actually play still you know from a backup point guard level having said that this is a team that has like I think at this point eight guys who are six four and under or something (laughs) and the young guys you're trying to develop Allen and Talon Horton Tucker and Austin Reeves technically play that point guard combo guard position so it's really like so are we just going to siphon off more minutes to another over 30-year-old guy? We already have Avery Bradley doing that, you know? Um, so I think the, the word to describe things for me with regards to DJ signing is uninspired, unfortunately, right? This guy is 34 years old. Somehow we got older. I don't, it's crazy that we got older with this move. You'd think we've learned, we'd, have, we'd have learned something by now, but 34 years old, going to be 35 next year. The Lakers are just, for whatever reason, averse to signing guys 6'8 or taller. To me, this is sort of like an Isaiah Thomas redux from what we did earlier in the season. He's obviously a better version of Isaiah Thomas. How much better? I'm not sure. Isaiah was 5'9", DJ's 5'11". He's maybe two inches better. (laughs) But they're the same prototype. DJ helps with spacing. He helps with scoring. He definitely doesn't help with defense or length. So what are we doing here? I felt like that was our biggest problem. I mean, we have a lot of problems, including generating offense, so he'll help in that respect, I guess. But the biggest one to me, especially with LeBron playing five and losing AD entirely, Alan, was defense. So I don't see how DeAndre, I don't see how DJ Augustine helps that. So in terms of just, play and what he can give and what he takes off the table, what do you see in DJ Augustine and what do you envision for his role here? I know they said back a point guard, but from your if you could put yourself in like the front office's shoes, like what is the play here with DJ?
1: Right. Uh I mean like you said, I guess okay, we it helps three point shooting, right? Um we're severely lacking in that department. Beyond that, I mean clearly Clearly? Oh, that's probably not the right word. Like, the front office is not thinking of, let's give the young guys developmental, meaningful minutes for the future. It's still, and it it's so cringy
2: to say this, like, win-ish, now-ish mode. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> like, this is win now, though? I don't... There's, like, still an illusion over us, and until until the illusion of competitive play is broken, and this is why I hate the play-in tournament, because it's gonna be a while, out until we're totally mathematically eliminated...
1: You have to be really shitty to not be 10th.
2: <laughs> and unfortunately, it's almost like for the first time, I don't know if you feel this way, I'm like, I wish the play didn't exist so we could cut the crap sooner.
1: I buy that. It, it just, like, it creates that haze of ish, <laughs> like I said. You're in purgatory. That's your punishment.
2: And you're not investing in the younger guys the way that you should be. Why is Stanley Johnson getting 13 minutes, dude? That's, You've already yeah, invested tr- in him for egregious. next season. It's crazy. And then, so what are your thoughts on... (laughs) This is super... I I saw some tweets come out yesterday where they were like, oh, DJ Augustine, this is the front office planning for next year because we're ingratiating ourselves with a 34-year-old DJ so we can keep him as a backup point guard for next year. What are your thoughts on that rationale?
1: I have no words, dude. Like... I cannot wrap my head around that. How is that a future oriented move whatsoever? I don't That's troubling.
2: <laughs> that is troubling if that is the mindset and I would say
1: that's the best we can do.
2: I mean, look, <laughs> like, even if you want a DJ back, right, for next year, what is he? Like the 13, 14, 15th guy?
1: He's a guy that barely played in Houston. <laughs> right. <laughs> you a- know? And
2: do you really need to ingratiate yourself with a 34 34- if we want a DJ next year? We probably could just sign him for a minimum contract with like who are we competing no... against
1: <laughs> like really
2: Okay what about the rationale for you get DJ in your system now I mean for, uh, first of all what system but still
1: <laughs> You could uh, I don't know man like I don't I don't I don't honestly have anything like you said that this is very uninspiring right mm-hmm. Um and I know that like <laughs> Darren Collison is pretty washed and he's been out of the league for a couple years. Yeah. But he had a couple of good defensive plays. (laughs) You know? Like and he hustled. And I'm sure, okay, like, was he able to shoot? No, because he hadn't played basketball in two years. But I'd rather and I don't know, like maybe I'd get crucified for saying this, but I'd rather have Darren Collison than DJ Augustine.
2: I mean, that's not a Right, like that's not that insane. At the end of
1: the day, right? Like, what are we even talking about here? They're they're pretty much a wash at At worst.
2: But I think to get to the point you're getting at, even outside of Darren Collins and DJ Augustine, come this offseason, I would hope to get... Any 27-year-old or under backup point guard not named DJ Augustine before I ingratiate myself with DJ Augustine and soft cement his spot for next season. Like, have we learned nothing from this season? We do not need old guys anymore. The veteran savviness doesn't work, Alan, until unless you what's it called, simulate the season in 2K and get the veterans to the playoffs when they actually exactly. care, right? Yeah. And so no DJ Augustine ingratiating <laughs> for next season. If anything, they should all be, if you're ingratiating yourselves with anybody, it should be all the guys 25 and under, Stanley Johnson, Malik Monk, et cetera, et cetera, THT, Austin Reeves. So I, I'm trying to like galaxy my brain into, okay, what are some devil's advocate ways this this makes any sort of sense, Right. Okay, this is the same argument I used for why we signed Isaiah Thomas. One, this probably signals that Kendrick Nunn is a long ways away, and maybe the Lakers just want to protect their investment at this point because Nunn will probably opt into his player option and be on the team next year. So in some ways, that's like, okay, we get a free player for nothing, and hopefully he's like fully, fully healthy by then, right? And they'd, maybe even if none ramps up and things are looking good, maybe the Lakers just say, "Shut it down, right? And I wouldn't be opposed to that. There's nothing to play for. So in Nunstead, what if the Lakers are trying to find a player who approximates what None does, kind of like how I, how I thought about Isaiah Thomas. So DJ, in this sense would be like a nun proxy, and that's the way that they're preparing for next season. They want to see how a guard like DJ Augustine slash Kendrick Nunn can start running the show around LeBron. And so we can translate and carry over some of those principles once Nunn is healthy. Not not the, let's literally transfer DJ (laughs) to next season. It's like, let's transfer what we learn from a guard like DJ, who's like a Nunn prototype, and implement those once Nunn is healthy. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think that could be a result. I think that could be a byproduct of what we have in him. Uh, If that were the motivation and the purpose, right? If that's like what's the selling point for signing him, that's still a little far-fetched. But I think, again, that could be the result of this experiment, (laughs) whatever happens. It's just (laughs) the worst-case scenario I see is like, and maybe it's not even that bad, is like he just doesn't even end up playing much because he sucks. (laughs) Like, all of a sudden, DJ Augustine is getting... Like he's at the end of the bench with Kent Bazemore, and
0: yeah.
1: that's like, what the hell? Are, why? Why do we even do that then? I could totally see that.
2: Well, would you? I think you'd rather prefer that though than him playing twenty-five minutes. Absolutely, over absolutely. Reeves, Tht, etc. Right.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. So then it's like, but then why? Why'd you sign him then? If you knew you weren't gonna play him, you know, like sign someone that you're gonna play.
2: In aggregate, no matter which way you go, it's futility.
1: The best case is what you said though. Like it can approximate what Kendrick Nunn could look like next year. Okay, and now we have a vision, right, a template for what this could be, even though he's not going to be able to execute as well as Kendrick Nunn. So then at that point, are you really seeing it anyway? But let's hope for the best, yeah?
2: And I guess because you've ingratiated yourself with DJ Augustine, if he does well, you can have him come back as the fourth backup point guard next season behind Kendrick Nunn, Malik Monk, etc. So like a Rondo, kind of a figure as a Rondo, Rondo or like a Quinn cause... Cook, exactly. <laughs> oh, God. So there you go. There's the positives. Okay, here's my biggest galaxy brain. Here's my biggest galaxy brain take for uh, DJ Augustine. What if he's not supposed to approximate? Kendrick Nunn, Allen. What if he's not supposed to serve as a Kendrick Nunn proxy? But instead, as the season continues to dwindle, we eventually sit Russell Westbrook, have DJ Augustine take over, because we know Russell Westbrook probably won't be in our plans next year because we'll be busy this offseason trying to ship him out. So in that case, what if DJ Augustine, this is super galaxy brain. What if DJ Augustine is actually a proxy for Damian Lillard? (laughs) (laughs) What if we're trying to play DJ now, start him, tell Russell Westbrook to sit so that we can see a vision of what Damian Lillard would look like on this team? Because really, DJ Augustine is like a third world countryman's Damian Lillard. Your thoughts on that?
1: Do you imagine if the front office told DJ Augustine, all right, so here's our vision for you. <laughs> we want you're you to be Damian Lillard. We basically want you to be like what we want Damian Lillard to be. So just kind of wrap your head around that, you know, just play your game, dude. Cause like you're, you're just a poor man's version of him. Um, <laughs> That's that's kind of the fit that we're going for. Can can you do that for us? And DJ's probably like, yeah, man, I'll do my best. And that's it. <laughs> so you know what's hilarious, dude? I it is galaxy brain for it's like out there, like light years yeah. away. But um, I could wrap my head around that because it's already like a lost ass season anyway, and things have been so insane. Why not? Um, that's a lot less practical. So I'm down to like squint my eyes to try to see
2: that. Well, let's okay. Let's not. I I did the Damian Lillard thing obviously for shock value, but let's take it four rungs below that, right? Even if it's not Damian Lillard, whether it's Kendrick Nunn or another player, you know that the Lakers will try and go after a point guard. And in today's NBA, Alan, literally, Russell Westbrook is the exception. Outside of Russell Westbrook, most other point guards are modern day point guards who can shoot threes, right? So in any sense, DJ Augustine should be approximating the type of guy we want to target in the offseason if and when when Russell Westbrook is shipped out, right, to see a much better fit. Because so far, we haven't seen really a good shooting modern-day NBA point guard next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, have we? Rajon Rondo is the closest thing, but Rondo can't shoot threes to the point that we want him to, right? He could shoot wide-open threes, but he wasn't popping up off the dribble, knocking down threes. So I think that's the vision here. It's like, in the offseason, if they're able to offload Russell Westbrook, they're obviously going to want a more modern-day version of an NBA point guard. I don't know if they'll think none is ready off the bat. I doubt it, you know, given he missed an entire season. So who are we going to try and target in the offseason? Whether it's whatever we get back for Russell Westbrook or whatever we try and get for the mini mid level. I know we don't have a lot of money, but I think we're going to be trying to find, you know, another primary scoring point guard who can shoot. So in that sense it's like it's, it's the guys probably not going to be like DJ Augustine, but in the very broad strokes of he probably can shoot, he can play make a little bit, he can score. DJ Augustine, you're gonna play that role and let's see how it works with LeBron James, you know? Mm -hmm, Someone who mm -hmm. can actually space with LeBron. I and that's still stretching it because I mean in some senses that's what Malik Monk does. Do you really need do you really need to see another guy do that? You know? Yeah, seriously. Um, But that's that's just me trying to super stretch things out. Um, enough talk about DJ Augustine. I can't (laughs) believe we spent this much time talking about (laughs) DJ Augustine. Um, let's take it to break, and when we return, let's talk about who, what, where, when yin. Nice. Wenyon Gabriel. All right, let's uh we'll catch you guys after the turn. All right, Alan. Let's talk about the other big acquisition move that the Lakers made, which isn't actually even a big acquisition move because it's a two-way player, Alan. Have you seen any of our two-way players actually play this season? Jay Ho. To me. <laughs> Jay exactly. <laughs> so to me, and I hate to talk about this front office in such a jaded way, but this is just where I'm at. Um But every move they make, I feel like I have like a very disenfranchised view on everything. And for me, I'm like, are they seriously trying to market this move as like the same as like getting a buyout market guy? And are they trying to market this as one of their big moves post trade deadline? Because I felt like Rob was like. Hey, Shams, after you tweet the DJ Augustine thing, make sure to also highlight Wenyan Gabriel. And then, But when you actually look at the specifics, it's like, oh, they're just shifting two-way contracts again. Do you know how many times the Lakers have shifted who their two-way guy is this season? Like three times. Chondy yeah. Brown was a two-way guy at one point. We had Sekou as a two-way guy two different times. Like, how is this? How am I supposed to be excited about this when we have no idea what's going on with the two-way guys in South Bay Lakers because they don't play on the big league team? To the extent that they have, they've just been summoned, and I think we had that two-game stretch during like COVID extravaganza where they got garbage time, right? So how am I supposed to be excited about Wenyan Gabriel, even though I was excited about him as a prospect back in 2018 when he was coming out of Kentucky... He was also teammates with Malik Monk, by the way, but he was a guy who I saw slipping in the second round that I actually targeted for the Lakers as this, like, lanky, versatile player who could shoot threes. He had a game in Kentucky where he hit 7 of 7 from beyond the arc. I think he shot 39% his last year with Kentucky actually hitting 1.1 a game. So he was, like, kind of labeled as this rangy lanky dude who could stretch the floor a little bit but had some defensive potential. I think that was his role in Kentucky, actually, more of a defensive guy. So I'm excited about Wenyan Gabriel in a vacuum as a prospect, and obviously people remember him, his his short stint against us in the bubble when he actually did a serviceable job against Anthony Davis, showed a little bit of athleticism, showed some defensive grit against a- AD as much as you can. Um, but outside of that, you know, he's bounced around, did very meandering, mediocre things, averaging three points here, two points there. I think his last stint was with the New Orleans Pelicans, and then he started the season off with the Clippers this year. But in general, like, hey, this is... If I saw everything in a vacuum, I'd be like, hey, this is a great move for the Lakers because we're actually taking a chance on a guy who's 24 years old. He's 6'9", with a 7'1", wingspan. Great. But then I take a step back and I'm like, but is this really going to be anything of consequence? Because... We had Seiku Demboya who has the same measurements as well, and I think he played one game for us, and he actually did pretty well. Liked him, but yeah. We liked him, but why should we be excited now about a guy who's swapping out spots with Seiku Demboya? I'm not even sure if we evaluated Seiku correctly. I'm, I mean, sorry, that's probably giving too little credit to the, the South Bay Lakers and the scouting department. I'm sure they did, and that's why they were able to make this evaluation swap. But still, in terms of the big league team... I don't know why I'm supposed to be excited about Wenyan Gabriel. And if anything, Alan, if Wenyan Wenyan Gabriel hadn't been signed as a two-way guy and had been given DJ Augustine's spot instead, I would be much more excited. Do you know why? That's it. Because that means we committed guaranteed money to this dude, so he has to play. Otherwise, what other point do we have to to commit that type of money to a twenty four year old than to trial him out. But because he's a two way player, Allen, they just send him down to the G Leagues, the Minor Leagues, and let him do whatever the heck he wants to, and we never really get a good look at him and what he's gonna do for this team until maybe what? The last five games, until we've really, you know, packed our bags and realized there's no point in competing. So yeah, what are your thoughts on Wenyon Gabriel?
1: No, that was my thought, is like if we mail it in, you know, that's when he's gonna get those minutes. Um I I don't know anything is, I guess, up in the air at this point. Like, could we play so poorly these next couple weeks (laughs) that it's just absolutely futile? And we say, just shut it down. Like, LeBron has already said that his health is not in a good spot, right? That this is, like, Mm -hmm. his ankle. He just needs time off. I mean, I'm not saying, like, they're going to shut LeBron down at some point midway through March, until April, you know, till the season ends. But I guess Wenyan Gabriel fits into that wing spot if, you know, he's going to play um, beyond something as extreme as that. Uh, no, yeah, you're right. We're going to have to tune into Spectrum Sportsnet <laughs> and record some G League games if we want to watch him play. <laughs> um, I totally agree with you just in terms of, like, what if we had given him that roster spot instead of DJ? How would I feel about that? I'd be very excited. Again, is there going to be some payoff? Is he going to be as impactful or even like three-fourths as impactful as Stanley Johnson? I don't know. It's a coin flip. But like, that's a risk that we're definitely willing to like see play out. And again, what is the worst case scenario? He's he's not a good fit, doesn't play, whatever. Well, we got plenty of guys like that clearly sitting at the end of the bench who we really freaking committed to for months early in the season so yeah you take a flyer on that guy um i think we all anticipated oh yeah they're going to sign like a rangy wing and okay yeah we kind of did i guess and we're just probably not going to see that pay off though so yeah that's that's a tease for sure
2: and if we had signed him to a guaranteed contract then like everything makes a little bit more sense right cuz ad's out Here's a 6'9 rangy guy. He can try and play power forward and small ball center. He has been playing small ball center for the last few teams he's been on. I'm just confused at why. But we were like, no, 5'11", DJ Augustine. I mean, he'll probably, as many people have joked, probably play center better than DeAndre Jordan. But still, it's just Make better outlet passes, that's for sure. That is for (laughs) sure. But it just goes back to like, what exactly are we doing? Like, I hope the best case scenario is- Yeah, I hope we have that Alex Caruso-like sort of rise at the end of the season, kind of like LeBron's first season when things were done, we were out of the playoffs, and then they just let Alex Caruso sort of roll along with Josh Hart and the other guys. I hope we get that moment with Reeves, THT, and then Wenyon Gabriel, and he actually shows some promise, and we have something to build off of. But it's just like, that's not going to happen until we've totally, you know, washed ourselves off this illusion that there's anything to play for even play-in-wise, you know? And do you... Th- so this is, a, I guess, a macro question, but do you think the Lakers would, quote-unquote, shut things down, even subtly, even if they weren't mathematically eliminated from the 10th spot? Which is even hard to even think whether they could get to that point unless they lose, like, five more games in a row. But what do you think it would take for them to to reach that point? So they'd, to, so they'd have LeBron James be tanking. like tweak yeah
1: like straight up um i mean yeah obviously injury you know that could happen at any moment in any game to anyone um but setting that aside what is it the spurs i think are the team that could creep in <laughs> they're like an 11th right now or something it's just the pelicans can to creep in this yeah talking about this um i mean we have a tough schedule we all know that coming up this week uh, if we, yeah, like you said, if we drop like four or five games in a row, if we literally don't win a game this week, is that the tipping point? Cause then how many games under 500 are we going to be, you know, like almost 10 games under, um, and we do play the Spurs coming up. Right. So they, they gain a lot of ground there if we lose to yep, them. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it already feels like the team freaking gave up, right? Like there's there's no enthusiasm, there's no like competitive spirit, you know, for at least this last game. Um against the Clippers, you know, lost by bucket. But um Not that we need to recap that New Orleans game, but it was just so pathetic and unprofessional that yep. you you would need to see consecutive efforts like that, where it's practically like the team is mutinying uh, I think to shut it down. And that's really extreme. So I don't think that it would come down to that. I've talked myself out of it. All right, so that was nice.
2: <laughs> yeah, so that means we're not going to be seeing Wenyan till the last week of the season, Damn unfortunately. <laughs> um, so do you? So back to Wenyon Gabriel. Some of the comps that I came up for him are, and this is this is funny because of the season and the parallels. But Earl Grant, Earl Clark, <laughs> Wenyon Gabriel Grant. is going to be our next <laughs> Earl Clark, or also from the same season. This is a deep pull. Sean Williams, Sean with an E. Do you remember Sean Williams? Like I do we remember needed like Sean
1: Williams. Yeah. Dan
2: Tony wanted like a rangy power forward who could shoot from the outside. And theoretically, Wenyan Gabriel, if given enough time and reps and stuff, he can be a, a power forward/small slash small ball center who stretches the floor for you. So he could be like a fusion of Sean Williams and Earl, Cl- Earl Clark. When you watch him play, he's not as long as these guys, but he kind of looks like New Noel, the way he defends block shots and stuff like that. And probably a a worse comp is a sort of like shorter Thon maker. (laughs) And the biggest thing is he's still slight in frame. He's got the tools. He's got the physical length and all that. Although it's just seven foot one, but I think he has the athleticism to back it up, which helps him. Um, So those are some comps that I'd give Wenyan Gabriel. And in the G League, he's actually playing very well. He has started... Nine games for the Wisconsin Herd, like the the Milwaukee Bucks G League affiliate, played ten games, and in those ten games, he's averaged sixteen point eight points, so pretty much seventeen points, nine rebounds, two point two assists, seven steals, two point one blocks. Um, ooh, seven steals! What the hell? Zero <laughs> point seven steals. Oh, sorry, sorry, <laughs> I said seven. Zero point seven steals, two point one blocks. Field goal percentage is forty four percent. Ooh. I
1: know. I was wondering about his efficiency when you said about 17 points a game. I was like, okay, so he's actually not putting up that many shots. Yeah. How many field goal attempts per game?
2: Uh, 14.5, so quite a bit. And then three point percentage, 29%. He's hitting 1.3, but that's not good. Although I will say last season he played seven games in the G League, averaged 19 points, nine rebounds, two blocks, one steal. Hit, hit 55% from the field, 46% from three, knocking down 1.7 a game. So maybe everything shakes out in, like, the course of a full, like, you know, even 40-game sample size. This is just, set, like, this is 10 games from this year, 7 games from last year.
1: We all know that guys improve their three-point shooting when they come to the Lakers, so that'll pan out. Oh, will. yeah, that,
2: that'll be great. Um, if you're looking at his regular season stats in the actual NBA, um, he is... So he shot 40% with the Clippers from three in, like, six games, making 0.3 a game. New Orleans, he shot 40.6%, hitting 0.6 a game. threes a game on 1.5 attempts. But it's hard to, like, gain anything from such a small sample size, right? So you're going to have to go back to his shooting profile in Kentucky where, again, he shot in Kentucky. His last year, he shot 39% from three, hitting 1.1 a game, which is good. And if you remember during the Lakers scouting time I think he in 2018 he was tops in the mentality drill so I think they do have some history with him and that's that's good to know because the mentality drill takes into account a lot of things in, in, including endurance athleticism being able to shoot under duress all that stuff so the fact that he has somewhat of a motor with his length I think is encouraging so again you know vacuum when and Gabriel is like an intriguing prospect to assess it's just like how much assessing are we actually going to get to do in the the big leagues, you know, from a macro level? Um, So that's it, Alan. To close this episode, I just want to get your thoughts on the team and how you're feeling about things. There have been a lot of things swirling around. With regards to, like, the LeBron James stuff that happened in the All-Star Weekend, all the damage control that happened, LeBron James versus Bill Orem (laughs) all of a sudden. (laughs) I mean, look, whether things were blown out of proportion or not, it seems like there's a lot of sour moods just naturally from a lot of parties everywhere right and i think and if there weren't alan then rich paul and genie bus wouldn't have had to have a hash it out meeting i think somewhere in the middle there so something happened some meetings happened. things had to go under damaged control so that we could somewhat come up with a unified front but with regards to all of that mess happening and how that lends to your confidence as a Lakers fan moving into this very pivotal offseason, how would you describe how you're feeling and like the people in charge and all that stuff?
1: That's a great question. Um I I think we're always like hopeful, actually, as Laker fans. Like I, I know that this was a quite a negative tinge on this episode because the team's not playing well, right? That's to be mm-hmm. expected. But you know, Once regular season comes to an end, once Lakers are eliminated from the playoffs or whatever ends up happening, I think, yeah, we are all optimistic that we will right the ship and conflict and sour moods and all that. <clears throat> Not always a bad thing. Um, if things need to get flushed out and there needed to be some, um, you know, transparent conversations, just put it all out on the table and make sure that we're seeing eye to eye on the same page and then that's fine. Let's see what they can do. Um, So in that sense, sure. I'm like looking forward to seeing if there are any changes in the philosophy and the approach that we can like clearly contrast with how this season went. Right. Because that's how you can determine if there was growth. The biggest fear is if it's the same shit. Right. Which is so hazy. Like the biggest problem right now is it just there doesn't seem to be a consistent vision. We can all think back to when we were in full on tank mode we sucked right we we couldn't win 20 games in a season but we knew what to expect there were things that we could wrap our heads around we didn't have to go galaxy brain right yeah which was like there there was no like let's go through this like exercise you know to like stretch our intellect um and you get a lottery pick out of it yeah yeah exactly i mean yeah there's nothing more clear than that right um So I think that's all we ask for is direction, you know, and and less ambiguity and less mixed signals and things that just straight up contradict each other, because that's what we've been getting. Um, I mean, in every game that I watched thus far, it's like, what do I really have to look forward to, like, as far as the game within the game, like win or lose, whatever, actually, but I want to be able to grasp something as I'm watching this quarter. And at the end of every quarter, it's just like, I don't. Really know what my takeaway is. It was just, blech. <laughs> you know, like okay, LeBron plays well, great. Melo gets hot from three, great. Russell Westbrook, like shoots a little bit better. <laughs> he has less turnovers. I Maybe mean, plays more under control. But like even then, that's all just like individual stuff. It's there's no chemistry. There's no connectivity whatsoever. Um, yeah, and the young guys, of course. You know, we look forward to their that. That's more like I. My brain goes into okay, how did I feel when, you know, we were watching D'Lo and Julius Randall and Larry Nance and Josh Hart. Like, okay, as I watch Austin Reeves and Malik Monk and Stanley Johnson, you can evaluate them on like their growth and development, which is fun. But that's still not like a collective effort at all, right? It's, that's not what this season was supposed to be. So that's where I'm at.
2: So it's not what this season's supposed to be, Alan, but it's taken a lot longer for people to realize that. And because of that, We're not even getting to see the full extent of, like you mentioned, being able to evaluate these guys properly because they still have to share minutes with Avery Bradley, Trevor Ariza, now DJ Augustine, and you can even put Russell Westbrook in this. Like, If the Lakers know, and it's hard to know definitively, right? But if the Lakers know that Russell Westbrook is not in their long-term plans or future plans, meaning, i.e., just the next year, wouldn't it behoove them to try and take minutes away from russell westbrook now and give some of the other guys who you know will be on the roster next year reeves thd um more of that time so it's it's there are a lot of things pulling at different directions and you're not sure they're pulling against each other at this point point. and so if i had to ask you going into this offseason I'm going to give you names of players or personnel and you tell me your percentage chance that you think that they'll be back on the Lakers. You ready? Let's start with the easy one. I know there was a lot of talk about like trading LeBron James if he doesn't sign his extension, yada, yada. And, you know, this is, I remember when there were talks about trading Kobe, you know, after after he signed that big um, contract of his near the end of his career. And so just to hearken back on that, So LeBron James, percentage chance that he's back next season?
1: 99.9 bar. Because literally nothing is exactly 100%.
2: Well, and also, this is just, regardless of whether LeBron James is going to leave after next season and doesn't sign an extension, this franchise does not chip off its superstar players for better or worse. And they didn't do that with Kobe when Kobe was clearly on one leg and didn't have anything left. And honestly, they didn't even do it for lesser players like Pau Gasol. <laughs> like, we could have gotten something from Pau and we just let him expire. Like, we just let his contract expire eventually. You yeah.
1: Know? No, you, you don't do it to arguably the GOAT. Hell no.
2: Exactly. That will always be in the history books as the Lakers traded LeBron James, right?
1: You're going to be cursed. You know, we talk about the Clipper curse. We talk about Boston Red Sox being cursed, Chicago Cubs being cursed, all across sports. The Lakers would be cursed if they did that. So, absolutely oh, not.
2: For sure. Okay, next one. Anthony Davis. Some people want to trade Anthony Davis for a huge haul. Maybe we'd get we'd give him to the the Indiana Pacers for Miles Turner, and Malcolm Brogdon, and Buddy Heald. Or the new one that I think someone suggested was to the Boston Celtics for Jalen Brown and uh, Aaron Naismith and some other pieces.
1: No. Same thing. 100%. He's still
2: here. Oh, Anthony Davis is 100%. Fine, 99.9. <laughs> 9. I I don't
1: want to sound all like, <laughs> you know, this freaking guy. So, yeah. I... I edit my LeBron take 100 Anthony Davis
2: 100 okay 100% there you go they're going to be back next year Frank Vogel percentage chance Frank Vogel is back next season
1: uh 70
2: oh okay why or what what makes you what's your rationale whether it's like is that a bump down from what you had anticipated actually or is that a bump up
1: part of me feels like did he get a fair shake stuff could come up with injuries but of course the flip side is like just adjustments with dj starting to make games at the beginning of the season and you know etc whatever we don't need to talk about that again but it could come back to well look how few minutes you know the big three got together he did not assemble this team either it's just what he was given uh he won a championship so that Bumps up, you know, some of his um, credibility or whatever you want to say. So, I mean, I I would say that I I was going to say about 60%, make it more of a Mm 50-50. And then I bumped it up a little bit just because I feel like as an organization, we're fairly tolerant and forgiving of things. (laughs) Is this what I would necessarily want? I don't know. Um, But that's how I could see it going.
2: I So, I think... Because of everything that's happened, and because they have so little avenues of being able to improve the team, the one area where they could drastically shift things, and that's in their control, is with the coaching and the coaching staff. Uh, So I actually have Frank Vogel returning at 25% next next season, and I have him leaving like 75% just because, I mean, it seems like he doesn't have any you know, he's amicable with the players and all that stuff. But in terms of actual basketball on-court play, it just seems like he's lost the team and he's lost them for a long time. And you can't, regardless of injuries and whatnot, you can't be nearly 80% of the way through the season and continuing to change the starting lineup. Like, we have had 35, 40 different starting lineups, Alan, and a lot of that is not necessarily even dictated by injuries. Like, we've had stretches where... Same number of guys have been healthy for that stretch, but for whatever reason, we're still tinkering with, oh, let's take Avery Bradley out. Let's put Monk in. Okay, no, THT, Stanley Johnson. You know, like, just stick with one thing so you can see what works regardless of whether or not— Yeah, you need
1: some continuity to actually judge something. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so I don't want to go down the litany of things that Frank Vogel could have done better or adjusted better, et cetera, et cetera, but just— I, I think it's time.
1: I don't hate your. I don't hate your percentage, by the way. <laughs>
2: <laughs> there you
1: yeah. go. I mean, <laughs> it was it was more like, yeah, like what do I think is going to happen? You know, but I absolutely agree with where you're coming from on that.
2: So I think it's so. If if I could put a percentage on what I think is going to happen, it's probably forty percent. He's likely to remain, and then my personal is twenty five percent. He's yeah. likely to remain. Right. Right. Okay. Last last one. Russell Westbrook. I
1: thought you were going to say Kent Bazemore. Um, <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: poor Camp Baysmore, man. I mean, I don't know. Anyway, I know. Chocolate, um, Water, Russ, expiring contract, <laughs> right? Um, I, I'd give it like 25% chance that he's back.
2: Mm. Is that your personal and what you think? The, the I know, I'm getting the, the two twisted.
1: Um, it's influenced by both. I, I just... It doesn't okay. work. And I, yeah. I think that the front office could see that. I don't think Russ is happy. So it would be in the interest of both parties.
2: Yeah. I think front office-wise, I'd put it at 40% chance he's back just because there are limitations to what we can do, where we can move him. I don't think he finishes out the season as a Laker, that's for sure. But I think the La- the Lakers will pull out, try and pull out all the stops to get rid of him this offseason. Because actually, I I amend what I just said. I think they have to get it done in the offseason. It would be too toxic to bring this into the start of the season and then try and finagle things midway through. It's just so messy, you know? So they got to figure this out in the offseason.
1: Like rip the Band-Aid off.
2: (laughs) They got to rip the Band-Aid off for sure. So, you know, I'll put it 25%. That's my personal... 25% he's gonna still be on the team to start the season both from a personal standpoint and also from like a practical realistic standpoint of what the front office actually does so um so yeah i think in in the aggregate that comes to the most likely candidates who are on who are going to be on the move are frank vogel and russell westbrook for for next year and um it's sad that we're talking about that with, like, what, 18 games left in the literally season? I am just like,
1: <laughs> you incepted my brain. Or I incepted yours. I don't know. But I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, we're talking about this on March 1st? Are you freaking kidding me? The season's not even over yet, damn it. We didn't just get bounced from the playoffs. They didn't just do exit interviews, you know, And we're having that conversation. Yeah. Ugh.
2: Well, why don't you close this episode out just uh, talking about your sentiments to close this season and what it's, what it's been like having to watch these Laker games, because it has felt like a chore.
1: Oh, for sure, dude. So, like, the game against New Orleans, I didn't start watching it until about 10 p.m. because I was out eating dinner. And I got back, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be done around, like, 11.45 midnight or something. And 16 turnovers in the first half, right? And I'm just like... I have to watch the second half of this, Bull? Like, are we really going to hit, like, 30 turnovers in this game? We didn't, but...
2: You're watching the second half for, like, the wrong reasons. It's like, could we get any worse? <laughs> I know,
1: yeah. We talked about the game within the game before, but, yeah, I was like, let's just see the shit burn down. And um, I was kind of tired. I had, like, a heavy dinner, so my eyelids were getting heavy. I was, like, kind of falling asleep, and um, I found myself freaking, like, just going on my phone, like, during free throws, you know, which I should have mm-hmm. just fast-forwarded through, but then I'm, like on my phone through three straight possessions. I'm like, the F just happened. I got to re- freaking rewind it now for no good reason, but I'm, I got to do it. So yes, like a chore. You know, that's what you get distracted when you're not into something. And that's how it was the other night. If I were watching live, maybe I'd be a little bit better about it. But um, I mean, am I looking forward to the game against the Mavs tonight? Yeah, because this team is so freaking stupid and they might play well the way that they did against Golden State right before the All-Star break on that Saturday night. You know what I mean? Like, what's the difference between then and now, really? Um, So I think that's our curse, is we are eternally hopeful in terms of kind of hitting that reset button. Like, all right, not new season, but just in a vacuum, what is this one game going to be? So I'm taking it from that, like, live in the moment (laughs) kind of perspective and, you know, forget thinking about the playoffs and all that stuff for now. Let's just try to grasp onto something each game.
2: Yeah, and that... That's something is DJ Augustine. Alan. Hell yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> Was he on the Mavs? I feel like he played for the Mavs at some point. So it's a revenge game for
2: maybe. him. Maybe. I don't know, man. He's been on like eight or have, nine teams. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But one thing that you said about your daily routine that I think every Lakers fan should sort of adopt is you should not be working your schedule around Lakers games anymore. You should not be prioritizing the Lakers games. If you have a nice dinner to go to with friends or something go to that dinner, DVR the game. Maybe you won't ever watch that DVR. Who knows? But it, it, this season is definitely not one of those seasons where it's like you work your schedule around a Lakers game. It should be the other way around. The Lakers work around your life and your schedule, whatever else you want to do. If there's an activity that's landing on the same night as a Lakers game, do the activity. That's my biggest like advice to people for 2022, at least the first half of 2022. It'll preserve your mental health. I don't even know why we do this podcast anymore. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's so fake. I guess part of it is cathartic, it but is like very I'm definitely man. this is therapy. It is, but it's definitely reaching like the again the stuff we're talking about at this stage. This is not what we should be talking about. You know,
1: this is the most I've smiled thinking about the Lakers.
2: Yeah, because we're like making we're trolling. We're, we're trolling. Exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a little toxic, but you know, whatever. We don't work for them. It's fine.
2: I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have a free agency preview next week. Like <laughs> that's <laughs> that's where we're going with this coverage right now. But anyways, yes, things fun things can still happen. THT might throw down a, a vicious dunk and Austin Reeves may hit another clutch three pointer the way he has been. Malik Love defensive value. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's The future is with the youth and this all ties back to all of us are dead because the future is with the youth in that show as well. The young guys equals hope and that's what we have to cling on to. Let's just hope those guys actually get the requisite amount of minutes that they can get so that we can actually... Cling on to something tangible heading into the off season and next season. One can only hope. I think I said hope like five times in the last 30 seconds. I said hope a shit ton too. <laughs> so. That's a good way to end such a hopeless podcast. I guess. <laughs> no. So with that Hopefully said, watch, they... <laughs> watch Midnight Mass. Is that what it's called? Midnight, Midnight Mass.
1: Mass. Yeah. So good. So good.
2: All of us are dead and Ozark. And I guess the Lakers game after that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) With that said, we will catch you guys next time. Alan, see you later. Later, man. Peace.